Well, we welcome you on this first Sunday in uh, 2024. Uh, we're standing on the threshold of a, another year. Uh, uh, new Year is a time for new beginnings, new resolutions, new commitments. Our original plan for this uh, Sunday today was that we were going to resume our series through the book of Revelation. Um, but we as a church staff kind of felt unanimously like it was a good time to take a pause and um, think together as a church about what it means to be the church that gathers here at uh, 1416 26th Avenue Northeast that serves in this community and what God requires of us as his church. And so beginning today and on each Sunday through January, we want to highlight four essential commitments that each of us is making as pastors and elders and staff and commitments that we want to call each of you to make along with us uh, to help all of us remember them. We've reduced each one to a single word in order they are show, know, grow, and go. Show, know, grow, and go. Can you say that with me? Show, know, grow, and go. Good. That's excellent. Well, the essential commitment that we'd like to call you today, uh, call you to today is, is to show, to show. Well, how many of you, uh, looking back over this past year at events in our nation and in our world, would say that it felt at times a little like the wheels were coming off? How many of you would say that? Yeah, most of you. Well, let's think about that a little bit together. The, the pandemic was finally declared over. Yay, right? Bit of good news. Twitter became X. As Elon Musk uh, took over, technological innovation surrounding generative AI, artificial intelligence, chat GPT, uh, saw a surge, produced a wave of new products. Where that's all going to take us, Lord only knows, right? Uh, that's a brave new world. Remember back in February, this is, this is in February, that there was this big white ball in, in the sky that kind of made its way across the continent. Remember that? And we were told at first that it was a stray weather balloon. and We learned after the fact that uh, it was a Chinese spy balloon, contrary to what the government told us and the mainstream news media reported. It, it was transmitting, transmitting data back to Beijing uh, in real time, as it made its way across the continent, it conveniently paused and hovered over sensitive military sites and gathered data. And the order wasn't given to shoot it down, remember this, until it was clear out into the Atlantic Ocean, having completed its mission. Um, both a guy named Hunter Biden and his dad um, are under investigation on charges from tax evasion to corruption, to acting as foreign agents, to even possibly treason. President Trump uh, is fighting criminal charges in multiple states. Several states are attempting to remove him from the ballot for the presidential primaries. There were over, count them, 110 separate armed conflicts uh, across the globe in 2023. And, of course, there's the current war between Israel and Hamas, 
that began with the deadly attacks on October 7th, and 1,300 Israelis murdered, 240 taken hostage, many raped and tortured before being put to death. So Israel, for the past several months, has been fighting for its very existence, and, and now they're fighting against seven or eight different enemies, seven or eight different entities. Uh, the war in Ukraine is raging on. President Xi of China announced to President Biden that, that China intends to take over Taiwan, um, preferably without firing a shot. Just last month, month of December in uh, Nigeria, hundreds of Christians were massacred by Muslim terrorists. Worldwide in 2023, over 6,000 Christians were martyred. Illegal aliens continued to stream across both of our borders, northern and southern, by the millions. A record number of legal cases affecting transgenderism and LGBTQ issues were litigated last year. 84 new laws were enacted in that area nationwide. Drag queen reading times were featured in schools and public libraries. In August, uh, on the island of Maui, uh, wildfires ignited under very suspicious circumstances. Uh, Over a thousand people were killed, made it the deadliest wildfire in a century. In the weather category at large, 2023 brought major earthquakes, uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, torrential rains flooding around the globe. Here in the U.S., NOAA, or the National Oceanic, I can't even say that, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, reported 2023 as the worst year on record for billion-dollar natural disasters in the United States and its territories. In July, in another rare weather event, a snowstorm took place inside the White House as a bag of cocaine was found in a locker near the West Wing. And to top all of that off, Taylor Swift was named Person of the Year by Time magazine, which is a certain indicator that the end is near. <laughs> so let me ask you this morning, what do you, what do you think? Will, will 2024 be better? I mean, we can hope so, right? Somehow, we, sometimes we, we have this romantic, irrational idea that on, at, at 12 midnight on December 31st of any given year, uh, somebody just erases the giant magna doodle, right? That, 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 and we're, and now we've got just fully clean slate. They shake the etch-a-sketch for those of you who are older. Not including myself in that, of course. See, a lot of people are looking at the circumstances and, and the movements in our world and are saying, something is coming. Something is coming. In other words, they're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? And waiting for the maybe the next big disaster to occur. Or maybe they're more optimistic and they're hoping for something different. I think significantly harder times may well be just ahead of us. Biblical Christians, on the other hand, view the same circumstances. And we are increasingly saying that someone is coming and that that someone is Jesus Christ, 
in an uncertain world that's, that's going from bad to worse, our hope is in Jesus. And we await His coming for us. It may be this week, it may be this month, this year, or a hundred years from now. We don't know, but we know that He is coming because He promised He would. And prophecies are being fulfilled and things are beginning to align for the soon coming of Jesus. Stay tuned for our Revelation series when we resume it in February. But Jesus, of course, is already with us. He's in us by His Holy Spirit. He's, he's already gone ahead of us into 2024 and beyond. I found this Facebook meme and uh, posted it the other day. It says, whatever is before us in this new year, is no match for the one who goes before us. Amen? So so we know and we, we move forward with confidence because we know that He goes before us and He's coming for us. So back to our four essential commitments. That was a big detour, wasn't it? What were the four? Show, know, grow, and go. This morning we want to ask you in 2024... To, to commit to show. And what does that mean? Stay with me and I'll show you. But first let's stand and read our scripture together for this morning. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, verse 19, you may have noticed, began with the word therefore. And if we're attentive Bible students, then when we see the word therefore in whatever passage we happen to be reading or studying, we should ask, What's the therefore, therefore, right? Well, allow me to bring us up to speed uh, on the backstory to this particular therefore. Uh, Hebrews, you've heard of Jews for Jesus, right? The Hebrews can under, be understood as Jesus for Jews. Um, everything this writer says is geared first to appeal to a Jewish mind. And so t- sometimes uh, we Gentiles scratch our heads at the things that are written here. By the way, uh, we refer to the writer as the writer because we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some pe- some people think it was the Apostle Paul. Uh, some think it was Barnabas. Uh, most people say we just don't know. But for a few minutes, let's go back to the start of the chapter at verse 1. Hebrews 10, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you have a Bible on a device, go ahead and log into that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Let's look at the backstory, see if we can get a sense of what the therefore is therefore. In verse 1 
of chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews tells us that the Old Testament law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. That is that the law uh, foreshadowed, it prefigured, if you will, spiritual and heavenly realities that were yet to be revealed. In verse 4, we read that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Uh, Think about that. The law, uh, if you've ever, you know, tried to read through the Bible and got stuck at Leviticus, you know that the, the, the law requires sacrifice. The law requires the shedding of blood. Some sacrifices required a bull, other sacrifices a goat, others a lamb or birds of some kind. In this chapter, Hebrews 10, paints a picture for us of a a Jewish priest in the temple standing day after day offering sacrifice after sacrifice, which, oh, by the way, can never take away sin. You just kind of go, what's that all about? In verse 10, He says that we have been sanctified. That is, we have been set apart for God, for his possession, for his purposes. We've been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Say that with me. Once for all. Christ offered, he says, for all time a single sacrifice for sins and sat down at the right hand of God by contrast with the Jewish priests who stood every day, every day, every day, every day, standing, offering sacrifices. Jesus offered one sacrifice and sat down, his work completed. Verse 14, he says that by one, again, single sacrifice offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being made holy. He's perfected us by one sacrifice. Do you contemplate that? One sacrifice for all sin of all people for all time. And by that sacrifice, he has perfected all those who are being sanctified. What does it mean that we're perfected? It means that Christ offered the sacrifice that provides everything we need for a relationship with God. Nothing added. Only received. 
In verse 17, he says, God will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. And here he's quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31, and he is expressing that the new covenant that was promised by God 600 years earlier through the prophet Jeremiah is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 18, where there is no, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. What does that mean? There's no further offering because none is needed. Because none is needed. Christ's sacrifice was completely sufficient for all of your sins and all of mine. His sacrifice provided everything we need in order to enter into a relationship with God. And that's what the therefore is therefore at verse 19. So let's come back to verse 19 to see what he has to add. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, I'm going to pause right there mid-sentence. The writer wants us to know first that by the shedding of his blood, Jesus opened the way for us to enter with confidence, not with fear, not with cowering, not with guilt, not with groveling, but to enter with confidence into the very presence of God. Jesus said to the apostles, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is one God, there is one way to God, and it is through personal faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 20, the writer says that uh, that this way that Jesus had opened for us is through the curtain that is through his flesh. And again, we Gentiles scratch our heads. What's he talking about? You may recall, if you've read the Gospels, that when Jesus died on the cross outside the walls of Jerusalem, nearby, up on Mount Moriah, in the temple, the massive thick curtain that hung from the ceiling of the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, which was regarded as the place where the glory of God resided, the presence of God was there, only the high priest could go there and only once a year. And at that he had to have a rope tied around his ankle because if he went in there and he was unclean, he would die because he had entered as a sinful man into the presence of a holy God. They might have to drag him out. That curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies when Jesus died was torn from top to bottom. It wasn't torn by a terrorist. It wasn't torn by a priest. It was torn by the hand of God. And in this way, God was demonstrating that the way into his presence, into the holy of holies, was now forever open. The writer says something more. The veil in the temple symbolized the physical body of Messiah Jesus. And he reinforces 
this by his use of two adjectives that describe the way that was opened. He says, first of all, it's a new way. It's a new way. And this word is so vivid, so graphic in its meaning, some of you are going to be shocked. It literally means freshly killed, newly slaughtered. The Bible says in another place that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The new way that Christ has opened for us was opened only by his death, by the shedding of his blood. And next he says it's a living way. Through the death of Christ, all who look to him to to receive the gift of eternal life, receive that. Because he died. He is alive forever. Think about that. All life in all of the universe, whether physical or spiritual, derives from the self-existent life of God. To really live is to know God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. He also said in what is probably the most familiar verse in the whole Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, that is, be eternally separated from him, but instead have eternal life. The Apostle John said, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Secondly, the writer tells us that Jesus is our great high priest over, over the house of God. Here in chapter 10 of Hebrews, there's a a paradox presented. The paradox is that Jesus is presented both as the priest and as the sacrifice. The priest administering the sacrifice and the sacrifice itself. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi and said that it's because Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death that God therefore highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as such, this priest and this who is also the sacrifice was exalted over the house of God, the family of faith. And right now Jesus is at the right hand of God as your high priest and mine interceding, praying, advocating for us. He is for us. He is for you. He is for you. With all that in view, in verses 22 to 25, the writer issues three invitations. More, more than that, he, he urges us to act on three unique opportunities that are enabled by what Jesus has accomplished for us. Three imperatives which we must not neglect. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, you might think about this as a mixed salad of opportunity because there are three lettuces uh, in this salad. The first lettuce in verse 22 is let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. To who? To what? To God. Let us draw near to God. Again, on what basis? On the basis of Christ's, the sole basis, the only basis of Christ's accomplishment for us. Now this verse tells us that we can draw near to God who is perfectly holy, who cannot tolerate sin, with full assurance, with absolute confidence, because He has so thoroughly and completely cleansed us from every sin that there is no reason to hold back. You should be saying amen to that. You have permission. The writer says something very similar in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. To say let us draw near to God is really to urge us to draw near to Him. To enjoy Him. To engage fully in a relationship with Him. To fellowship with Him in prayer and Worship and learning from his word. The second lettuce is in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Notice that he says we're to hold fast not only to our hope, but the confession of our hope, the declaration of our hope, the the witness to our hope. Cynical voices will attack and erode our faith and our hope in Christ. Isn't that true? It's all around us. So our obligation, in light of what Christ has done, is to get a firm grasp of sound doctrine. The essentials of the biblical Christian faith, the the drivetrain of the gospel, if you will, so that we aren't vulnerable to every attack that comes our way. As Paul put it in a letter to the Ephesians, not driven and tossed by every wind of doctrine. And it's our obligation. Listen, it is our 
obligation before God to help our kids reach that same level of maturity in the word, to know God, to have a personal relationship with him, to know the word of God. By the way, not just fire insurance, but a personal relationship. To know the word of God, to know that there's reason for their faith, and to have a transformational confidence that God is faithful to every one of his promises. The third let us is, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, verse 24. This is one of our primary obligations to each other as followers of Jesus. To give thought to one another. To give thought to one another. It is uber easy to drift into a kind of selfish Christianity. It's really all about me, about my priority, my schedule, my my own relationship. But a selfish Christianity is a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Notice that word consider. Everybody loves this verse. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. What we're being called to here is a radical kind of attentiveness to each other. You see that? In order to gain insight into each other's heart and mind, attitudes, motivations, strengths, weaknesses, vulnerabilities, fears, and I could go on. In in short, it's a, a comprehensive kind of knowing that we're being called to. And in that knowing, we are to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And again, here, here's another word that's really colorful. That word translated, it, it literally means to poke. It means to prod. It, it means to put the spurs to each other. Dig them in if necessary in order to move each other forward in fulfilling God's calling on our individual lives. That requires love. It requires intentionality. Here's what else it requires. It requires a great deal of time spent together. And that's why the writer adds these important words in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Someone said that the currency of our present age is time. We have so little of it, seemingly. And so these words ring more radically true than ever in our culture, in our lifestyles. Even in the first century church, some were already neglecting the gathering of believers. Now that just kind of puts the pin in the balloon of our romanticism about the early church, doesn't it? 
In the second chapter of Acts, we read that the early church in Jerusalem devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. There was strong community. There was radical generosity. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's so easy to romanticize those early days of the first, very first congregation of believers. But they weren't so much unlike us. And already in the first century, there were people who were saying, oh, meh, about gathering with the church. He says it's the habit of some. Notice, notice with me that word habit. Uh, the Greek word behind the word, English word habit is ethos. Ethos. It means the unwritten customs, the, the practices of a community. Uh, the, the dictionary defines ethos as the characteristic spirit, the common mindset, the implicit value system of a community or a culture. So let me ask you, what would you say is the current ethos among American Christians with regard to church attendance and involvement? Allow me to share some brief statistics. Since the turn of the century, not not from nine, you know eighteen ninety nine to nineteen hundred, that's nineteen ninety nine to two thousand. Since the turn of the century, the percentage of Americans who identify as Christians and attend church each week has dropped from thirty two percent to twenty percent. That is, today only one in five attend each week. In that same period of time, the percentage who never attend has risen from 12% to 32%. And the percent that, so, so one third of those Americans who identify as Christians never attend church. Never, never, neither Christmas nor Easter nor ever. And the percentage of those who attend about once a month has fallen two percentage points from about 13% to about 11%. Church attendance nationwide was was in decline. I think we're all aware aware of that before the COVID pandemic. But the, the pandemic just catalyzed that decline and accelerated it. And most of those who left their churches during COVID didn't come back. They just adjusted to a different lifestyle. According to Barna Research, 16% of Christians who regularly attended church services before COVID no longer attend at all. At all. So today, uh, American churches are seeing the lowest attendance rates in our nation's history. And that includes conservative evangelical churches. I watched a a sermon this week from a very large, very well-known Southern California church. And during the sermon, the pastor reported that 76% of the thousands of people who attend that church, who identify with that church and attend its services on its multiple campuses, 76% attend less than once a month. Only 11% attended at least half of the Sundays in 2023. 
So I ask, is, it, is, is that a church at that point? Or is it an event? Is it a concert? Is it a spectacle? What is it? Here in Thurston County, Washington, census reports indicate that... And by the way, we look pretty good compared to that church. When you think about church health... Here in Thurston County, Washington census reports indicate that 17% of the population attend church regularly. If you believe that, I have a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. I think that the actual figures are the last I saw reported of the churches in Thurston County that reported in only about 11% of our population attend at least uh half of the services in the previous year. To the writer of Hebrews understood this vital principle, that one thing we must not do, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, is to neglect our gathering together. And that brings me back to that first essential commitment we're asking you to make in 2024, which is to show. We, that is the pastors and staff and elders of LifePoint Church, are asking you in this year, 2024, January of this year, (laughs) to make a commitment to show up in church every Sunday in 2024. As Evan pointed out, you already have perfect attendance. You're off to a good start. Unless you are sick or you're homebound, disabled in some way, or you have to be out of town. Which reminds me of what I used to tell my kids if I, had a, if I knew I was going to have a busy day. I said, you call me only if you're on the floor dying in a pool of blood. Right? <laughs> Every Sunday, unless you're sick, homebound, or you have to be out of town. Why? So that you can worship with others within this body of believers. So that we can mutually stir one another up to love and to accomplishing the good deeds that God has prepared for us to do individually as well as collectively. So that your children... Some of you bring your grandchildren will grow to love and value the family of God. That, that the church is a primary point of identity for them. So that you and your kids and your grandkids can be taught the word of God. Parents, Grandparents, guardians. Have you ever thought about the fact that on an average week, your kids will spend about 30 hours in school? Hopefully not in detention, but 30 hours a week in school. Another several hours doing the homework that's been prescribed by the teachers in that school. Another several hours in extracurricular activities. 
Am I up in the 40s, do you think? Maybe hours a week? But they receive only one hour, if that, of biblical instruction in any given week. What do you expect will be the outcome of that kind of imbalance? Listen, parents, there is a, this is an actual actual statistic, there is a 0.05% chance that your children will ever play professional sports. But there is a 100% chance that they will spend eternity somewhere. You've got to realign your values and your priorities and theirs in light of that reality. One of the original Ten Commandments is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I don't have time to share with you all that I think that means for us today. But at the heart of it is to keep the day set apart from other days in order to honor the Lord. I would say to you that we as evangelical Christians in the 21st century have completely forgotten anything about what that means. And each of us needs to get to the place where gathering with the people of God in the presence of God under the teaching of the Word of God isn't just one option among many on Sundays. Not just another extracurricular activity, but in fact the sole priority, the thing your family does on Sundays. I wanted my children to never be able to understand themselves apart from the church. And I pray that that will continue to be true in their lives. While I'm on the subject, I want to ask you to make another commitment, and that is to be on time for church. Here's a a little secret. I saw it again this morning. Guests who visit our church for the first time actually think that they should be on time. And even a little bit early. And it is uh, startling, I think, uh, discouraging to many when the service is beginning and there are only about a dozen people here in the room. I'm deadly serious about this. See, if, if I was a visitor to this church, being very honest with you, if I was a visitor to this church and I came in before the start of a service and five minutes into the service, there was only a smattering of people around the room, I would get up and leave. I would. I would. Now, by about 15 minutes into the service, we had a pretty full room. But what's that saying to our guests? I wonder sometimes if they think, well, nobody attends this church. (laughs) Why, Why am I here? So you can help us to create a more welcoming environment, not by greeting at the door or, you know, serving coffee or whatever, simply by being on time for church. Simply being here. Hear me? Secondly, 
I'm going to get off of that now. You're looking uncomfortable. (laughs) Secondly, we're asking you in 2024 to commit to show up in a life group. What happens in a life group gathering? Life groups engage God's word together in practical ways, life-changing ways. They, they pray for each other. They, they get to know each other. They encourage each other. They sometimes cry with each other. They're there in the hospital with each other when somebody's sick or injured. They're there at the graveside crying with each other. More on that next week. Many of those life groups serve together somewhere in the church or in the community. Most of our life groups eat together, Mm-mm-mm. whether it's a full meal or, or just some dessert or snacks. Doesn't sound too scary, does it? Why do you need a life group? Well, there's a ton of reasons I could give you. Here's some that I just kind of listed off the top of my head. It's a place to know and be known. In an impersonal society, it's a place to know and be known. Even in a church that is our size, it's easy to get lost and not be known. And I often say to people, if you're if you're in the hospital and you're not part of a life group, don't be surprised if you're not visited. If you haven't connect, intentionally connected somewhere, and, and you're in trouble in some way, and nobody from the church is there for you. You need to make a choice to know and to be known. It's a place to be accepted and to, and to belong. It's a place to be cared for. It's a place to learn to apply God's word in your life. It's a place for spiritual growth. I've said for years, I'm still saying that there is no better environment for spiritual growth and transformation than in a committed small group. It's a team to serve with. Some of our life groups serve, for example, in City Gates ministry, and and some of them are serving in schools and other places. Life groups are a way of being the church. Life groups are among the essential building blocks that that will help us as a church to grow and be healthy. So we're asking you to make this commitment to show up in a life group. Join a group. Start a new group if you want to. Lead a group. We need leaders. There's a place for you. There's training available for leaders. Finally, we're asking you to make a commitment to show up as a LifePoint Church partner. What is a partner? Bottom line, a partner is what other churches call a member. Why use the word partner instead of member? Well, first of all, there's nothing wrong with the word member. It's a biblical word. It makes sense. But we chose the term partner rather than member because we felt like it, it more accurately describes the nature of the relationships that, that the Holy Spirit calls us and leads us into as a church. The word membership has collected some unhealthy baggage over the years in many churches. That unhealthy baggage was expressed best in a, a credit card commercial that, that aired decades ago now. Some of you may remember it, but the tagline was, membership has its privileges. Membership has its privileges. And, and far too many Christians have come to believe and therefore act as if privilege is what church membership is all about. We don't think that's what it's about. 
Partnership isn't about privilege, it's about service. In any joint venture, in any partnership, the individual partners make a personal investment. As they make that investment, they assume and accept mutual risk, hopefully experience mutual benefit, mutual blessing. Partners win and lose together. Secondly, partners aren't spectators on the sidelines. They have skin in the game and they fulfill their role on the team. Partnership is also a biblical word. For example, Paul wrote to the believers in Philippi, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For that reason, we we ask those who choose to commit themselves to this church as partners to, to make a few fundamental commitments that are contained in something called the Partnership Promise. You can find that at LPCOLE, mylpcoli.com forward slash partner. But by definition, here it is. A LifePoint Church partner is someone who, first of all, is trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Secondly, who has gone public with their faith by being baptized in water. Third, who is submitting to the leadership and the discipline of LifePoint Church pastors and elders. Fourth, who is investing their spiritual gifts and personal resources in order to advance the mission and vision of LifePoint Church. And fifth, who has been affirmed for partnership by the elders of this church on the basis of their confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Can you attend LifePoint Church without becoming a partner? Absolutely. Some of you have been doing that for over a decade now. It's time to quit dating the church and get married. You're free to attend LifePoint without committing to the partnership promise. But listen, if LifePoint is your church, we hope that God will lead you to take that step and that you will respond to his leadership in that. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Well, what if I'm in the military and I'm only here for a few years? Well, here's our hope. We hope that while you're among us, you'll fully embrace us as we fully embrace you as partners in the gospel. And you can let your church back home know that while you're here, you're being cared for and you're serving in this church. Military families are some of our favorite people. Right? And in fact, it's true. In early years of life point, military families built this church. Is formal church membership or partnership even biblical? Some people ask that question. Well, why is this so important? And here's, here's an honest answer. There is no one proof text to which anyone can point that I know of for the biblical nature of official church membership as we think about it today, as we practice it. But it is entirely impossible. Can I say that again? Impossible to understand many of the New Testament teachings 
without recognizing an implicit assumption of a deep commitment to a local body of believers. The epistles don't make sense apart from that. And here are two things. There's, There's a lot more I can say, but here are two things that becoming a partner communicates. First of all, it tells the others in this church family that you're in, that you're here, that they can count on you. You're not just dating the church. And secondly, becoming a partner also tells us as pastors and elders who it is that we are responsible to care for and to shepherd. Because otherwise, we don't know if you're saying, I'm coming under your leadership or not. I'm coming under your care. That's something you need to choose and tell us. There's one other phrase in verse 25 of Hebrews 10 to which I want to call your attention before we close. Latter part of verse 25, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, when I was a child, I I had this thought. I don't imagine it's an uncommon thought. Uh, I was raised in a Christian family, had great parents. I was raised in a great church that, that loved me, that taught me God's word faithfully, that got after me because I was a rascal when I was a kid. Uh, but here, here was my thought. My thought was, I'll take my commitment to God seriously later. I get serious about this stuff later. Right now I have a life to live. Right now I'm going to serve myself. I'm going to have a good time. And in my immaturity, I wasn't paying attention to two realities. The first of which is that none of us is promised tomorrow. Death comes for all of us. And that's one way that maybe we should think about the day that's drawing near. God brought that reality home to me in sixth grade when my best friend and his entire family were killed instantly in an auto accident. Second, I I failed to pay attention to the truth that the rapture of the church could take place any time now. At any moment, Jesus could descend from heaven with all that noise, the trumpet and the shout of the angel and all of that. And we could be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And every day that's passed since then has been one day closer to His coming. And each morning you get up, you should say, Lord, this is one day closer to Your coming. I'm looking forward to Your coming. You can look at the world today. You can look at our nation today. You can sense that the wheels are coming off. You can observe that biblical prophecy is being fulfilled, that the signs are beginning to align, that Jesus is coming soon. Isn't it about time you got serious about the things that the Lord Jesus is serious about? Isn't it about time you got serious about cultivating your relationship with Him, about serving His church, about fulfilling His calling on your life? Isn't it time you stopped playing at Christianity, you stopped playing at the church, and got real? The time is 
now. And so we're calling you to these four areas of commitment. Will you make the commitment, four areas of commitment over these four weeks? Today, will you make the commitment to show up in church with your family every Sunday on time, as far as it is within your power to do so? Will you show up in a life group, whether as a leader or a participant? And will you show up as a LifePoint partner? I hope you will. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this new year. And Lord, I pray that you would impress us with the time, that you would impress us with the reality that the day is drawing near when you are going to come for us, whether by death or by rapture, you're going to take us out of here. May you find us having been faithful. May you find us having been committed to the things that you've called us to do and to be. And may you find us faithful as a church here in Thurston County, in Olympia. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.